You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Following Jesus demands that we die to ourselves. Learn more about this in week three of our series, Cross Check. And we're still in our series called Cross Check. And what do we do? What we do here is we are trying to juxtapose or put side to side, side by side, the Bible standard of following Christ with our lifestyle and mindset and see if they align or they match. In such a fast-paced and high-tech society na we're in right now, there is this great temptation to search for easy solutions. But Christians, Christian life is never easy. Simple, but not easy. Are we taking the shortcuts? Are we carrying the cross of following Jesus? Or are we just trying to shortcut everything? So, let's start with our topic, uh, Path to Greatness. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone loves to see greatness as at its finest. Basketball fanatics, just like Pastor A and me and many pastors, love to see LeBron James or Stephen Curry up close and personal on a live NBA game. You see, it's amazing to see them and watch them in YouTube. How much more kapag live? Yeah. The same goes with great athletes that we admire, whether that's golf, volleyball, running, rugby, football. Nobody wants to watch mediocre performances, right? Do you want to watch mediocre performances? Of course not. That's true in sport, but also true in other fields. Nobody enjoys watching an incompetent employee work or seeing the papers or a project of a mediocre student. We love to see greatness. We love to see excellence. And we ourselves want to be great at something. I want to be great. I want to be a great husband. I want to become a great father, a great pastor, a great preacher, a mentor. Some of you may be aspiring to be great boss. Uh, a great boss that employees would love to work with. Or a great supervisor. Or a great businessman. A salesman maybe. Or a singer, just like the singers here. Or... An actor. I used to be one. <laughs> a stage actor. Or an entertainer. You see, even my kids, I want my kids to aspire for greatness in, what, in whatever future endeavor they will choose to pursue. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong to aspire for greatness. There's nothing wrong in trying to be great and trying to excel to be the best lawyer that you can be, to be the best engineer in the field, to be the best doctor that are not corrupt. <laughs> because there's so many doctors now, even if it's not needed, they will just let you undergo some medical test. To be a great scientist, uh, because our world is hungry and thirsty for greatness. Even the Bible encourages us to aspire for greatness. But you see, that's where the similarity ends. Because there are 
great differences with how the world sees greatness and the path to greatness with what the Bible says. So as Christians aspiring to be great followers of Christ, how should we pursue greatness that the world will applaud but at the same time receives the applause of heaven? Is that even possible, ladies and gentlemen? Can we marry this Two seemingly opposite standard, the standard of the Bible and the standard of the world. So let's all stand up as we read our text in reverence to God's word. We'll be taking our text from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. I re- will be reading from the ESB version. If you can join me, let us read one, two, three. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared for by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know what the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let us all pray. Our Father in heaven, we are here and we are grateful for such a privilege to worship you and to be fed by you with a spiritual word that gives life. Lord, we pray That as we hear your word, you will change us from the inside out and we will come out of this place changed. Father, we thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name this we pray. Amen and amen. You may now take your seats. James and John are referred to in the Bible as the sons of thunder. Wow. What a strong title. Yet in our text, We see them with their mother lobbying for a position of prestige and authority. They are pursuing a position of leadership and authority and yet they're asking their mom to do it on their behalf. (laughs) What an irony. Verse 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Now, Look up here. In the original language, the mom is asking not on the basis of merit. Not because James and John were the best among the best, were were the most faithful. No. The mom was asking not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of connection. That's what the original language says. Sounds very familiar? This is a first century story, yet it sounds like a 21st century Filipino telenovela. Verse 21, and he said to her, what do you want? 
she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine. In the ESV, somehow it loses its impact. The word say. But in NASB, the New American Standard Bible, it says, Command! Or declare and recognize and make it valid and final. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And these two seats, the one on the left and the right, are seats of power and authority. And then the ten ten other disciples are so indignant, not because they think it's wrong, but because they feel they were bitten to the draw. Let us backtrack a bit. Two chapters earlier in Matthew 18, our text was from Matthew 20, but two chapters earlier, and even a parallel event in Mark 9, the disciples are asking and arguing with the question, who is the greatest? They were asking each other, arguing, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? But in chapter 20, James and John are no longer asking the question, but rather they are asking for the position, the position of greatness. Jesus being the great teacher that he is, knows that this is a great discipleship moment, a great teaching moment, all right? Just like any, any parent here, when, yes, last night I had this uh, incident in the house, something happened, and I knew it was a good teaching moment for my children. This situation was a great discipleship and a teaching moment for Jesus and for his disciples. What is Jesus teaching them? Here's what Jesus is saying. When it comes to greatness, the kingdom of God operates differently. Why? Because the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. At first, Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Verse 22. Okay? Tell your your Satan, you do not know what you're asking. (laughs) Be careful what you're asking for. He said, You do not know... What you're asking. James and John said, of course we know, Master. Are you willing to suffer just like how I am going to suffer? That's what Jesus meant when he said, are you willing to drink the cup? James and John said, yes, we are. Even though they have yet truly understand how Jesus will suffer. You do not know what you're asking. But here's what you know. In verse 25, Jesus says, You know. Verse 26 said, You do not know. And then in verse 25, He said, You know. Here's what you know. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's what you know. That's the picture of greatness and leadership and authority that you have in your mind. This is what we are being, being uh, uh, practiced all around you. What you know is the ways of the world. How the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over and exercise authority. In the original language, these are two related words which connotes oppression and dominance. It's not just lording over or being an authority, but it's about Oppression and dominance. 
And Jesus said, that's what you know. That's what you see in the world. That's what we see in the world filled with competitive people and selfish and greedy. They tell people to, to their face, hey, I'm the boss. You follow. I tell you, you follow. They impose their will on them. And the poor guy cannot do anything but to do his bidding because his job depends on it. On many occasions, we Filipinos have exhibited crab mentality. Yeah? We pull each other down so that we can go up. Others are credit grabbers. Even though it's not their job, it's not their work, they'll say, ah, I was the one who did it. While others just simply take joy in seeing people fail. But that's not how the kingdom of God works. Jesus said in verse 23, It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. My kingdom operates differently. My kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. In Matthew 18, where, uh, where they were discussing who is the greatest, Jesus said in 18.4, Matthew, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In the same story, in, but different account, Jesus said in Mark 9.35, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all and servant of all. That's what Jesus meant. It's an upside down kingdom where the first will be the last and the last is the first. That's why in verse 23, verse 26 of our text, Jesus said, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. What an irony again. And whoever would be first among you would be your slave. Some people call this the great paradox in the Bible. Seemingly contradictory and yet it is true. And it should be true for the church. It should be true for Akasha Hotel Church. No, Victoria Akasha, sorry. <laughs> what is Jesus teaching us? This is what Jesus is teaching us. The path to greatness is humility by serving others. The path to greatness is humility by serving others. This is how the kingdom of God operates. Now, look up here. Look up here, everyone. I want this to be clear because there is a tendency for these words to be misunderstood. So I want to clarify this. We do not serve to become great. We become great because we serve. Okay? We do not serve to become great. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we do not serve just so we can, people could, could know us. So that people will say, wow, what a great usher. Wow, what a great preacher. No, no. We become great because we serve. Greatness is the consequence. We serve for the honor of God and for the love of people. Greatness is never the motivation, ladies and gentlemen. It's just a natural repercussion or consequence 
of us serving the Lord and serving the people. In John chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, this is the time when Jesus would be washing the disciples' feet. It says there, He loved them to the end. Love is the greatest motivator. Not just the motivation, but the greatest motivator to serve, especially the undeserved. Verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put in to the heart, put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus. Now, take note. Jesus knew Judas is going to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing, again, the word know, knowing that the Father had given him, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. You see, Jesus was never an insecure person. He knew who he was. He knew that the Father has entrusted everything to him. And he knew that he's going back to the Father. That's why in verse 4 it says, He rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Listen, only secured people can truly serve the undeserved without any reservation. If you are secured of who you are and who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter who you touch. It doesn't matter who you rub shoulder with. It doesn't matter who you serve. Why? Because you are secured in Christ. You know that you are a child of God. It doesn't lower your, your worth as a person simply because you're dealing with the undeserved. Verse 5. Look at what he did. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is the job, not for Superman, but for a slave. The lowest of the slave. Because to wash the feet during those times, you know, there are no paved roads during those times. And there are no cars, tricycles, only camels, donkeys, and they poop all around and sometimes they step on it and they will enter the house. So they need to be washed by a slave. But Jesus, being their teacher, the teacher among them, showed them how it is to serve. He said he loved them to the end. In other translations, it said, He showed them the greatest extent of their love. And how is that? By serving them. As I said, there's nothing wrong in pursuing greatness. But the pursuit of greatness should not be driven by the spirit of competition to become the best among the best. Why? Because it will, never, it will be a never-ending pursuit that will wear you down eventually. In Desiderata, a famous English poem, it says, 
If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter. For always there will be greater and lesser person than yourself. So our motivation should not be in com- to compete for greatness. Because it will be a never-ending pursuit. Rather, our pursuit for greatness should be motivated by our compassion and passion to serve others. The path to greatness is serving, ladies and gentlemen. But, okay, but the purpose of greatness is serving as well. Yes, the path to greatness, for you to become great, you have to serve. But once you reach greatness, what is greatness for? To be great? No. I want you to know that the day will come, God, each one of us, will put into a certain level of greatness. But you have to understand, we have to understand the reason why. It's so that we can even serve better. I remember one post. I think this is the daughter of Paulo. She was unknown before. She was just a child. But then she became a theater actress, if I'm not mistaken. She became great. No. You know what? She used that platform so she can gather a certain group of people and, and teach them and share to them the gospel eventually. Some Christian entertainers, they use their uh, celebrity position to really serve the people. The path to greatness is serving, but once you're already great, the purpose of your greatness is so that God will be honored and that you can serve even better. Greatness is not an end in itself. Greatness is a platform so we can serve better and display the honor of God. Robert Greenleaf coined the phrase servant leadership in his essay published in 1970. The Robert Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership acknowledges that the idea is not original, of course. We know that this is a biblical concept spoused and exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ. However, see, Robert Greenleaf was the first to articulate it in our time. He coined it, and we've heard it many times, even in in religious uh, uh, organizations like El Shaddai, you know, uh, Brother Mike Villardo was a servant leadership, servant leader, etc. His idea is now widely used by organizations and businesses worldwide. In fact, many of the big companies are influenced by this philosophy. In the book Good to Great by Jim Collins, Collins outlines a model for turning a good, average, or even mediocre company into a great one. And the first characteristic of this good to great company is what we call the level 5 leadership. That's the very start. Level 5 leadership. And he said level 5 leadership or leaders are modest and humble, set others up for the success and the wins, focus on other people's successes more than their own, have unwavering resolve, care more about the company than their own profile, their ambition remains within the company and its goals, not about their own personal progression. They have what Collins described as a ferocious resolve, an almost stoic determination to do whatever needs to be done 
to make the company great. Wow! Sounds like a servant leader to me, right? But I think, okay, this is my personal opinion. I think most of these business organizations adopting this philosophy, if this philosophy eventually would not contribute to their bottom line, if it will not add dollars to their coffers, I think, again, it's my personal uh, belief, they would abandon this idea if it will not produce money in the bank. This is where the kingdom of God differs. Yes, serving is the path to greatness, but serving is also the purpose of greatness. And serving is the greatness that the kingdom of God recognizes. No title, no accolades, no achievement will matter in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, but only those that are done for Christ in the service of others. So Jesus is saying as his final thought, this is what he's teaching us, follow my example. Follow my example. My kingdom operates in a different realm. It operates in a different way. So follow what I do. Verse 27, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus invited His disciples to follow Him and watch Him. Watch His life and follow His examples. Samya, come, walk with me. Come, follow me. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. He feeds the hungry. He washes his disciples' feet. He heals the sick. And as the ultimate expression of serving, the Bible said that he gave his life as a ransom for people who are undeserved of his life. He chose you. He chose me out of the abundance of His amazing grace. And so the disciples walked with Jesus and Jesus showed them the ways of the kingdom. Here's what happened next. Okay? In our text, it ended in verse 28, but it continued on in 28, 29, 30, and so on. Here's what happened. Verses 29 to 34. As they went out of Jericho, so the, the discussion was over and they walked, going to Jericho. A great crowd followed him. Different crowds. Maybe some of them are rich. Some of them maybe are leaders in the synagogue. Maybe some of them are leaders in the community. Some of them maybe are Pharisees, priests, whatever. It was a huge crowd. And behold, lo and behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. Not rich men, but two poor blind men. Nothing to offer, but has so much to ask. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 31 says, The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. You know what happened? 
Verse 37, and stopping. Jesus stopped. For the two blind, poor, nothing to offer, two guys. Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do for you? What is it that you are wishing for? Verse 33 said, they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. Jesus didn't say, um, what do you have to offer in return? He didn't say that. Will you follow me if I heal you? He didn't say that. Will you spread my name to your town where you come from, just like how the demoniac spread my name in Decapolis? They have anything to offer? Any love gave at least? <laughs> None of that. That's not what Jesus did. Verse 34. And Jesus, in pity, out of His compassion and grace, out of His love for the undeserved, He touched their eyes and immediately, they recovered their sight and followed him. Two undeserved blind men. And yet Jesus stopped even, the, even when there's crowd following him. Samuel Johnson, a great Christian poet and playwright, he said, the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do him absolutely no good. Wag na po tayo magpakalayo-layo. In your life. In your household. In your everyday encounter with people. Who are these people you think are the people who absolutely cannot do you any good. And yet sometimes God asks you to serve them, to bless them. That's where God can see what's real, that's what's real inside of us, our true character. Jesus wants to tell us, follow my example. Gayain mo ko. Follow me. Why? Because this. We can serve the least because we have been served by the greatest. He gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. Who among you here, you can say, it's because I deserve. Anyone? Nobody can tell us. Nobody can say that. Because the Bible says we are all sinners. All we deserve is hell. And yet, by His amazing love and amazing grace, He said, I'm going to give my life as a ransom, as an act of service to people who do not deserve it. And so, us, the recipient of God's grace, we can serve 
even the least. Kahit po yung mga yaya natin na minsan eh, nangungunsumi tayo. <laughs> even the guards. Even the janitors. To our volunteers, especially the the ushers, especially if you are in festival mall, <laughs> we can still serve even those people sometimes you feel like they don't deserve to be served. Paul has his own version. Romans chapter 12, verse, verse 16. He says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. We must be willing to rub shoulders with the lowly people, ladies and gentlemen. If you are secured, it will never devalue your word as a person. On the same breath, rubbing shoulders with the rich and famous will never add value to you if you are an insecure person. Because some people, they just want to rub shoulders with the rich and famous hoping that they will become or look like rich as well and famous as well. But if this one is rotten, nothing will happen. You're still that rotten person that you are. Have you heard of this thought before? Let me read to you. If you walk with chickens, you will become like chicken. Act like chicken and think like chicken. But if you go with the eagles, you will become like an eagle. You will fly like an eagle and think like an eagle. Well, I have no problem with that. I used to say that when I was doing sales and marketing training for a networking company. I'm oh, you're an eagle. <laughs> the problem, I think, is when those eagles or those that think that they are eagles is when they start hunting and preying on the chickens. I think that's the problem. I wish to show you a short video of Korea Future Technology CEO Yang Jin-ho in an incident with his employee. This situation is actually rampant in big conglomerates in South Korea, according to the news. But this is just one example. This is rated SPG, so parental guidance is advised. Okay, dalawang short video po ito. Let's play. 일으켜 세웁니다. 폭행은 무차별적으로 이어졌습니다. 양이 자리에 서게 된 이유에 대해서 말씀드리겠습니다. 양진호 회장님은 저를 폭행한 영상을 저희 이사 없이 몰래 촬영하도록 직원에게 지시했고 그 영상을 소장하고 있었습니다. 전그 같은 사실을 최근 한 언론사의 취재로 알게 되었고 강한 충격과 참을 수 없는 분노를 느끼게 되었습니다. 전 양진호 회장님이 강한 무차비한 폭행의 피해자인 동시에 그분이 저희 인격을 무참히 짓밟은 영상을 몰래 촬영하고 불법적으로 소장한 저희 범죄의 몰카 피해자이기도 합니다. 전 이러한 일을 겪으며 지금도 사내 폭력으로 사내 폭력으로 인해 고통받거나 
불법 몰카 영상으로 고통받는 분들의 마음이 어떤가 깊이 헤아리게 되었습니다. 전 양중훈 회장님이 지금까지 저지른 자신의 과오에 대해서 공정한 법의 심판을 받기를 간절히 원합니다. 그리하여 엄청난 부와 명성으로 무뎌진 그분의 죄의식이 다시 세워져 자신의 죄를 깊이 반성했으면 좋겠습니다. 더 이상 저 같은 피해자가 나오지 않기를 바라며 이번 일이 우리 사이에 강한 경각심을 주었으면 좋겠습니다. 끝으로 이 일에 관심 가져주신 국민 여러분들께 감사 말씀드리겠습니다. The CEO asked the employee, another employee, to film that so that he can have a souvenir. That's what the news said. To have a souvenir. Well, this is, that's an extreme case. But in our workplace, we see tidbits of this power play and ego tripping of some managers, supervisors, and even owners of the company. You see, if this so-called eagle will pray for and pray with the so-called chicken of our society and lift their spirit up so they can fly like an eagle, then we will have a better ending. Rather than a tragedy, we will have a comedy ending, as they say in literature. Ladies and gentlemen, we are called to serve. And even if our serving will not lead us to being great or being known, it's okay. Siguro wala pa naman ho ditong nag-serve na talagang usher at nakilala sa buong Pilipinas. Wala pa naman siguro. We are serving people, be it in the church, doing volunteer works, or in the marketplace, mentoring and coaching someone, or in our family, doing chores. We're doing it not to be great, but to honor the great God who showed us the true example of being great. When we serve someone above us, usually it's called obligation. Right? When we serve someone below us, the Bible calls it greatness. So, Jesus said, come follow me. Follow my example. So we can serve the least because we have been served by the greatest. Amen? Can we give the Lord a round of applause? Shall we all stand up? Our greatest motivation of serving people is love. Not because there's love in us, but because we have experienced how to be loved by God. We have been served by the greatest, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And I want you to know that daily God will give us an opportunity to express greatness. A greatness that people might not even notice. But for sure, heaven sees it. And when the day comes, in the sweet by and by, with the sounding of the trumpet, when God, Jesus Christ, comes again, He will bring us to heaven and He will welcome us. 
He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And He will flash before us the things that we have done in secret. Things that people may not even know, the world may not even know. And suddenly we will hear an applause of heaven saying, well then, my child, you did it to the list of my dear brothers. You did it to me. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, here we are. We're standing here simply because we've been served by the best. You said in your word, Lord God, that you came to become a ransom, to pay for our sins. And here we are, saved, changed, and given an opportunity for greatness. Lord, we pray that as you present these opportunities, Lord, teach us, help us to grab all passion to serve. Not because we want to be great, but simply because we want to honor the great King of Kings. Lord, these hands are your hands. Lord, these feet are your feet. We will go wherever you want us to go. Use us, God use us. Lord, maybe in our own household, sometimes it's very hard for us to serve. And we're demanding, Lord, that we be served because we're tired and we're the ones earning and we're the ones doing everything for the family. Now we need to... Lord, we pray. Help us to humble ourselves. Or Lord, maybe some of us are the eldest in the family and we say, I'm the eldest. Serve me. Or maybe we're the youngest and we're sick and tired of being sick and tired of serving our eldest. Lord, help us, God. We want to do it to honor you because we've been served by the best. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord. You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash victoryph.